Week one, we, we kicked off this series uh, called Open. And we talked about having an open mind. And have you found that when it comes to generosity, you have to have an open mind. I, what God calls us to runs against the grain of how our culture thinks. And it is learning to open our mind and to really reason with scripture. What is God helping us to understand? And what we talked about in week one, to give you some cliff notes, is generosity is a genius way of living. It's brilliant. Generosity not only heals the world, generosity is the remedy of greed. It guards our hearts from the things of this world taking captive and residence within the depths of our soul in places they don't belong. It is the remedy of greed. And we talked about all of scripture kind of boils this generosity talk down into three categories. That there's priority giving, which is the heart behind first. There's percentage giving, which is the principle of the tithe that you see in scripture. And then there is progressive giving. That what you find is as you follow Christ and you take him at his word in the area of your finances, you find that the the joy of giving uh, takes on a snowball effect in your life. And you just look for more opportunities to, to give and to be a blessing to others and to participate in God's story. And what I love about this is, folks, this is preaching to the choir. I don't know if I have ever stood before a congregation who models this better than our church. It is amazing the 44 year history of Northview that has been marked, led, shouldered, and pioneered by individuals who take God at his word and who live with radical generosity. And so for many of you, uh, this is a yes and amen kind of conversation. Last week, we talked about having an open heart, that this just isn't a head issue, it's a heart issue. Jesus said some really uncomfortable things regarding wealth, and it makes us lean in with curiosity as to what is Jesus saying? He said, hey, it is impossible. I mean, it is difficult. It is more likely for a camel to make its way through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven, and and it kind of makes us squirm a little bit. You ever found that Jesus says some uncomfortable things? Come on, wave at me if you find that Jesus says some uncomfortable things. I wanna do a series called Skinny Jeans, (laughs) talking about the uncomfortable statements of Jesus. These are uncomfortable to stand in. And uh, Jesus, what he was getting at is generosity. It's not a wealth issue. You hate to admit this, but wealthy people aren't generous people. We all can relate or know individuals who have great means, but they're not generous. So it's not a matter of wealth. In fact, we also know people on the other side of the spectrum who would be categorized as living in poverty, yet they live with radical generosity. So if generosity isn't dictated by wealth or poverty, what is it dictated by? What we talked about last week is Generosity is not a wealth issue. It's a health issue. And what you find is people who live in response to those around them and people who take the invitation extended by God to participate in his story and people who live open-handed to have an impact in the world, well, they're just healthy people. And it is the byproduct of a healthy heart that resides within them. And today, I wanna go from the head to the heart and now to the hand. Because ultimately, that's how faith works. You, you get a revelation from God, and there's some truth that is spoken that initially lands in your mind that drops to your heart, but ultimately, God seeks for it to make its way out through your hands. 
And in this message, I wanna talk about what would it look like for you and I to live with open hands. And we are gonna look at a passage in the Bible that I find to be loaded, uncomfortable, comical. There's some tension. There's a lot that is fascinating and inspiring. This is quite the story. But here's the deal. This is not, you know, some fairy tale. I believe this really happened. And I don't know about you, but I, I love the Bible. Anyone love the Bible? I, I, just, I just get so excited and I'm so thrilled to have the privilege to every single week gather with our church and to open up the pages of scripture and just say, hey, God, what are you speaking to our lives? And here's two questions that I think you should always ask when you open up the pages of scripture. Whatever you're reading, ask yourself this, where am I at in the text? And what does this text teach me about my God? Those are just two great questions for you. Where am I at in the text? And what does this text teach me about my God? Today, we're gonna look at something in 1 Kings chapter 17, where we are introduced to Elijah. Now, Elijah is a giant. He is a spiritual hall of famer. I mean, he belongs on the Mount Rushmore of the Christian faith. Elijah's the real deal. He is a pioneer, he is a hero, and he is a patriarch of our faith. And what is interesting to me and you gotta go home and you gotta open up your own Bible and you gotta read it for yourself. First Kings chapter 17, starting out with verse one, it says, and there was a man named Elijah from Tishba. And he was living during a time where there was a famine and he was living near a brook and God was feeding him by the ravens, which is just so much there in that one statement. God was feeding this man by ravens which God was so far ahead of his time, he had, you know, the initial idea when it came to DoorDash. I mean, he should have patented the whole Uber Eats deal. But what I love about it is I am the type to just get fixated on things in scripture. I'm the type to just geek out and go down a wormhole. And when it comes to where Elijah is from, Tishba, archaeologist, Theology, uh, theologians, historians, individuals throughout the ages have debated and discussed where was Tishba? And what they all agree is there's some guesstimations, but no one actually knows where Tishba was from, which this is a unique detail to Elijah's story. When it comes to people like Moses, we know his origin story. When it comes to people like Samuel and other heroes of the faith, we know their origin story. But when it comes to Elijah, he just shows up out of nowhere from a place no one's heard of. And I love this because some of you, that's gonna be your story. That you are going to live a life for Christ. And when people look back on your legacy and what you've accomplished, they're gonna think, I don't know where they came from. But that person seemed to come out of nowhere and do some amazing things for the kingdom of God. And their obedience and faithfulness advanced the cause of Christ in their community and within their generation. Anyone thankful for a God who brings people out of nowhere? That people may not know your story and people may not know how you're developing and what you've been through and what has brought you to the place that you're in, but God does. I'm just so encouraged that our God is attentive to every single one of our lives. And he knows exactly where to find you when he chooses to use what he put inside you. 
This is amazing, which means you don't have to be marketed by man if you've been marked by God. You just have to stand ready, accepting your invitation and the opportunity to play your part in God's story. So here comes a man by the name of Elijah from Tishba, living in a famine, being fed by the ravens, hanging out by a brook. This is a fun story. And it then picks up and tells us this. Sometime later, the brook, it dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then, check this statement out, the word of the Lord came to him. Anyone thankful that our God speaks? Oh my goodness, I love this about our God. I love that he doesn't throw a manual into humanity and say, hey, figure it out and I'll see you when you're done. But I love that he's attentive to our lives and he sees the dream you're pursuing and he sees the cancer that you're battling and he sees the addiction you're trying to overcome or the children you're trying to raise or the company you're trying to build and he looks at your situation and he speaks revelation and wisdom and truth and encouragement and purpose into our lives. Church, are you thankful for a God who speaks? Come on, somebody, give me an amen. I love this about our God. I love that in the loneliness of my moments of life, he speaks. I love in my triumph, he whispers congratulations. I love with, in my pain, he whispers I'm here. And I love within my joy, he says, well done. I love that our God, he speaks. And my prayer is, my goodness, as you would gather with us, I pray that I pray that I pray. You do not show up looking to hear a person's opinion. Do not sell yourself short. I pray you show up and you view this for what it is, a sacred space and a holy moment where we get to crack the pages of scripture and we get to lean into a divine revelation in which God seeks to speak to our lives. A word of the Lord came to him. And I always get a kick out of the things that get too much press. Like when it comes to marriage, you know, the whole ball and chain stereotype gets way too much press. I'm like, get out of here with that. Marriage is the best thing on the planet. I love it. Ball and chain, maybe she's stuck with me, but I don't feel stuck to her. This is a great gig. I love being married. And one of the things that gets too much press is some will say that scripture's outdated. Some will say that it's not relevant. And the people who say that are guilty of two things. One, either they haven't read the word and discovered themselves, no, it's pretty relevant. It's living, it's active, and he speaks to things that land directly in my heart. Either they haven't read the word, or two, they haven't read the times. Because everything that God said would take place is taking place. His accuracy is unnerving at times. Our God speaks, and I pray you soften your heart, and I pray you open your mind, and I pray you just you open yourself to the possibility that the creator of the heavens and the earth might desire to speak to your life. I love that idea. So then it goes on to say, he says, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there for I have directed, check out this statement. God is saying, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now you gotta hold that in your mind. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, 
would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And this is so impressive about this woman. As she was going to get it, he then called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. And watch what she says. As surely as the Lord, your God. Now I grew up on the King James Version. Anyone else wave at me if you grew up on that one. And the King James Version says the Lord, thy God. She's creating a distinction. She's making it known, I don't believe what you believe. I don't serve the God that you serve. You gotta hold on to that distinction. And she's replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. She doesn't have bread, but she does have the ingredients. And some of you, you're like, I don't have it. And God's like, but you do have the ingredients. And if you trust me, I can work with what you have. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son. And this is where the soundtrack gets depressing. So that we may eat and die. Dun, dun, dun. Like, it just sounds depressing. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. This woman's about to die. And he's like, hey, fear not. Go home and do as you have said. But first, I, I thought about taking our first graphic, the thing that you see on all the walls at all of our campuses and on programs and material, talking about our first initiative. And I thought about just scribbling the word, but. But first, because what happens is, is life comes with a gravitational pull and it comes with a gravitational pull to things outside of God's will for our life. And so sometimes it's assessing and saying, hey, but first, before I do that, before I give myself over to those things, but first, I'm going to do this. Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day, of the Lord, until the, day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In, check out the statement, keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I mean, that is a lot of scripture. Give yourself a, a round of applause. We made it. It's a lot of text to get through. And there, there's so much to talk about. Here this man is living in a famine because backstory... God has turned off the faucet. There's a drought taking place. And what you find is in sometimes uncomfortable ways, the sovereign hand of God is behind the scenes. This will confuse some people because what some will assume or maybe misinterpret or be confused by is the question, so are you telling me God is responsible for bringing about this devastation? And here's the thing, God is not aiming to bring about devastation, but he is aiming to bring about a demonstration. These are two very different things. And God is showing up in a space in which the world around Elijah has given themselves over to idols. 
They have started worshiping and placing other things before God, above God. They have given their allegiance, their devotion, their hope, their identity to lesser things. Anything in your life that is more important than God, idol. Idol. And every single one of us in this life is gonna have to fend off idols. And the idol of the day was a cat by the name of Baal. And Baal was the rain and fertility God. And they worshiped him. So God's like, all right, well, I'm gonna shut the faucet off on that guy. And let's see how fertile this land is when I show up. So God is showing up and God will do this in our life. And you should just know God's a good teacher and he'll teach you according to your learning style. And so it's just learning like, hey, God at times seeks to have our hearts and he seeks for you and I to experience the life Jesus died to give them. And he will at times show up in our life and put the hammer down on our false idols. And so God shows up and was like, hey, I wanna make it very clear. This Baal is a fake and puny God and there is only one God and I am he. Our God is so awesome, he's tough, right? And it says that he comes to Elijah and he says, it's time to go move at once. It says that there's been no rain and the brook has dried up and it's time to go. Now there is a man by the name of C.S. Lewis who is one of my, my favorite authors. He was initially a pretty known atheist who became a philosopher and then gave his life to Christ and became a theologian and one of the greatest minds within the Christian community within his era. And he even wrote children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia. He's a brilliant person. And he has this quote. He says, our father along the journey refreshes our lives with pleasant ends, but he does not want us to mistake them for home. I'm gonna say it again. Our Father, along the journey, refreshes our lives with pleasant ends, I-N-N-S, but he does not want us to mistake them for home. Sometimes what happens is we have an encounter with God and we wanna settle. And God's like, hey, I have more in store for you. That's not where I wanna leave you. I want you to keep going. I want you to continue pursuing all that I have for you. And what happens is, is we have one encounter and most people are tempted to forfeit all that God has next because they get comfortable in the space that God has met them in. And God's like, hey, this was only meant to be a pleasant end. I don't want you to mistake it for home. I don't know about you, but I... I love staying in hotels. Anyone else you like staying in hotels? At least for the first few days. When you first show up, it's amazing. Like there are people paid to just hang around and host you. Open doors, elevators, make your bed, stock your toiletries, make you breakfast in the morning. It's like, this is great. I love it. These cute little toiletries and new towels every morning. This is a great gig. Initially, I love staying in a hotel. But after like three or four days, I'm like, all right, I wanna go home. This pillow's giving me neck issues. This body wash has me chafing in uncomfortable places. The eggs downstairs don't taste like real eggs. I'm ready to go home. Initially, I was glad to be here. I was enjoying it. 
but I'm ready to move on. And some of you, I wonder if you're finding yourself in a place with God that initially you really enjoyed, but now you're restless and you're confused by your restlessness. And God's like, it's because I have something else. It's time to keep moving in your faith. And check out this journey that Elijah has to go on. This is the map. What you should know, some of you, you own a Bible and you may not be aware of this. In the back of your Bible are some maps. You should check them out. I love people who look at the maps. This is where Elijah is at being fed by the ravens and the brook. This is where God tells him to go for his next meal. I mean, archeologists have said, hey, it was probably 50 to 80 miles through rough terrain on foot. And it says he went at once. What a goal to aim for. I think spiritual maturity is measured in the lag time between God's promptings and our obedience, between God's word and our willingness. And I think sometimes the courageous among us just have to assess what is the lag time? How responsive am I to God's call upon my life? And I'm not fully there. When I look at the things Elijah did, I'm like, oh Lord, I pray I can get to that level at some point. I pray you use me in a way that you used others before me. But I love that idea that God comes to him and says, at once, and he went. And what would it look like if at the end of your story, at the end of your legacy, when people spoke about your life and the things you stood for and the faith you possessed and how you played your part in advancing the cause of Christ, would they say, whenever God would speak to them, they would do just as he said. I love that about Elijah. I think it's a great, it's a great standard to aim for. Now, here's what you have to understand. Our God, well, he only seems to work outside our comfort zone. No one ever says amen to that. <laughs> Anyone find that there are certain things about God, and let's just keep the place honest. Church ought to be the most honest place on the planet. There are some things about God that are frustrating at times. There are some things that I'm like, Lord, when I get to heaven, I, I would just like 15 minutes of your time because there's some questions that I have for you. Why did you do it this way? Anyone else, come on, wave at me if you have some questions for God. Yeah, I think he, he's okay with that. I have all kinds of questions. One pertaining to teeth. I think it is comical that how God created us, we get a new grill by the time we're 10 years old. And then the second grill has to last us for our entire life. I'm like, that just doesn't seem right, God. Like I would have been fine being toothless for a year at the age of 35 if it meant I would have got a brand new grill for the rest of my life. And here's the deal. I know you're thinking the same thing. You know, I wish I could get a new grill, right? Why'd he do it that way? I don't know. He's God though. And he seeks to operate, to move, and to be productive outside of our comfort zones. And here's something you'll always hear me say, and that is this, your faith has to confront you. In other words, your faith has to call you out before your faith can, uh, can, can, can comfort you. Your faith has to confront you before your faith can comfort you. A child running into the street must be confronted by the parent before they can be comforted by the parent. And I think God looks at the things that are competing for our allegiance, competing for our desire, competing for our devotion and dedication and our identity. And I think like a parent who confronts a child running into the street, God speaks 
And it's not just to, to confront, but ultimately to comfort, hey, that's, that's not what I have in store for your life. And I just wonder where in your life does God, well, where do you feel God is confronting you? I, I think true followers of Christ, they embrace the confrontation because they know he's good. They know he's faithful. They know he is sovereign and he works all things together for the good of those who trust him. And so whenever God confronts, it's like, hey, I trust him. I take him at his word. Where in your life do you just sense God confronting you? And it's amazing to me because God, he calls Elijah and he says, now I want you to go to Zarephath. I want you to take this weird journey and your next meal, well, it's gonna be provided by a widow. And in fact, your next meal hinges on the generosity of this woman you've yet to meet. And I think when it comes to generosity, there are three mentalities. One is that first is greed, which says, what is yours is mine and I'm going to take it which I think we all know people, seen people, witnessed people, and some have seen them in the mirror who think like this. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. That's a greedy mentality. The second mentality is selfishness, which says what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. So it's, it's slightly better than greed. But then what scripture draws us to is a generous mentality that says what's mine Oh, is yours, and I'm going to give it. Now, I know it's hard to embrace some of this as adults, and sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, but let's take the focus off ourselves. Which would be a better way to raise our kids? And which mentality would make the world a better place if we were to shape our kids into that way of thinking? Well, it becomes clear. The best option is a generous approach to life because again, generosity is a genius way of living. So Elijah shows up and this woman is collecting sticks. Elijah says, hey, would you get me some water? Initially she says, okay, and she starts to head away to get him a jar of water. And then Elijah, he makes me uncomfortable. And Elijah says, oh, and bring me some bread. To which she's like, I don't have any bread. I have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. I'm gathering a few sticks to make my final meal with my son and die. And Elijah's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But first, bring me some bread. <laughs> Anyone you're just appalled by Elijah? He seems calloused. He seems inconsiderate, the audacity. This woman's going through a hard time. And you have the audacity to make a request of her in this moment. And what you find with Elijah is in this moment, and he even tells the lady, hey, don't be afraid. Because in this moment, he's not afraid or concerned with her facing death because he's excited because he knows she's about to taste life. I, I think this is such a, great tension in the text. And this is a tension that as you grow in your own relationship with God, you're going to experience it. 
What's gonna happen is you are gonna experience more and more of God's work in your life and it is going to come with an unwavering confidence. You're just gonna arrive at a place where you're like, God's good, he's faithful, I can trust him. He's dependable and he's at work within my life and he loves every single one of us dearly. And so what happens is you arrive at a place with confidence, hear me on this, to the point where your faith sounds tone deaf. It almost doesn't seem to be considerate of the moment. You start to show up to the hospital with some eagerness in your heart, ready to pray for someone when everyone else is crying. I believe God can heal this person. You, you just start to lean in to a culture that is broken and fractured and divided and you just show up, I believe God can restore some things. I believe God is bringing about change and I believe God is gonna be glorified in this moment. And I sense a great awakening coming to our nation and I'm gonna be at the center of it all. I believe despite what we're facing, our God is good and he's faithful and he's up to something. And I'm telling you, when you live with that kind of faith, the hopeless will initially think you're heartless. Oh, the tension when you know who your God is, it is hard to reconcile in the minds of those who don't believe what we believe, why we behave the way we behave. Why are you so confident despite our inconvenience? But that's faith. And so Elijah shows up and it is fascinating to me because he arrives based on a word that God gave to him. Go to Zarephath at once, and a widow is there who will feed you. And in fact, Scripture says, I have told a widow there to feed you. Now, get this. This is fascinating stuff. Is this woman a believer? No. In fact, she makes it clear. The Lord, thy God, not the Lord, my God. I don't believe what you believe. This is interesting to me. So what God is saying is I have started speaking to someone who currently doesn't believe in me. So she could sense him, but she couldn't make sense of him. Oh man, some of you have a college student who's in that tension. He can sense him or she can sense him but they're having a hard time making sense of them. And I love this because Elijah shows up. God's about to do a miracle in the region that is gonna take the, the society by storm, get their attention, and he's gonna be glorified. And Elijah's next partner, don't miss this. Elijah's next partner is not a believer yet. And, and I just wonder, in, in our stories, that if we get down the road and it's like, man, God started intersecting my lives with somebody and my partner who I linked arms and accomplished things for the kingdom of God, initially wasn't a believer, but they too became a giant in the faith. I, I just wonder how many of you who gather with us at all of our campuses, you're not a Christian, but you're gathering with us because though you can't make sense of them, you can sense them. And something is stirring in your heart and you are going to become catalytic to what God does next. And you are going to be one of our next partners in an absolute move of God. 
Come on, can we just celebrate God's brilliance and how just creative he is? Elijah shows up and he puts a demand before the lady. And she does it. I mean, I am so impressed with this woman. Now, what happens is when we read scripture, we read it way too fast. Some of you, when you read the pages of scripture, you have to slow down, stare at the text, stare at the individuals, try to get to know them. Put on your thinking caps and your imagination. What was this like? What did it feel like, sound like? What did she look like? What was the, the season of life that she was in? Let, let, let's put it together. She's in a famine. Let's just know the, the destructions of a famine don't happen overnight. It's gradual. It stops raining, and before long, the crops start dying. Eventually, so does the livestock. Then the local economy crashes. People start to suffer. Health declines. People start to die, including her husband. Resources are scarce and limited, and now she's down to a final meal. This woman is in quite the predicament. And some of you, you're in quite the predicament. And a word of the Lord coming to you initially might seem uncomfortable, but you are positioned to experience the goodness of who our God is. There's all these amazing widows in scripture who all model for us, when God is all you have, you discover he's all you need. And she thinks she's down to nothing. She's like, this is all I have. And God's like, what you hold in your hands is a lot more than you think. And I wonder how many of you are thinking, I know we're talking about generosity, but you have no idea. You're not paying attention to the economy. and You don't know my situation and you haven't heard about what my company's going through. I get it. And maybe I am unaware. But all I'm saying is maybe just maybe the word of the Lord is coming to you saying, you're holding on to more than you think. Like if I were to hold an apple in my hand and say, folks, what, am I, what are we looking at here? Everyone would say, an apple. But you could also say, seeds. Deep within that apple are seeds. And so the question is, is well, do you see an apple or do you see an orchard? And I think people of faith look beneath the surface and they see something greater. And they don't just see apples, they see orchards. I believe in the palm of my God's hand, this is more than what meets the eye. And this woman, she does it. Some of you, we're gonna get down the road and we're gonna see miracles within our church and we're gonna look at your life and your commitment and we're gonna be like, they did it. Check them out. Look what God is doing in their life. Despite their situations, Look at their faithfulness. And what is so comical to me, Elijah asked for a meal and all she was seeking to do was to prepare a meal for herself. And scripture says, the food did not run out until the famine was over. They were praying for a meal. God gave them a pantry. 
Have you ever found that you don't even know what to pray for? You ever found that your, your prayers were too limited? And I just love this about God because though our prayers lack accuracy, or maybe though our prayers are, are limited and lack faith, God's like, I'm gonna do something in their life. It's gonna blow them away. And I'm going to show them how good I am and my desires for their life. That's why, folks, we have to always understand this. God does not want something from you. Guys, God's not looking for a loan from us. Like, God's good. He doesn't want something from us. He wants something for you. And I just wonder, what might God have in store for us as a church if we were to live open-handed? What I love about this is the level of faith I know we're talking about generosity, but I mean, you could say this sermon is more about faith. That's what I love about gathering and opening up the pages of scripture. It always intrigues me as to how God applies these words to every person's life and situation. That we show up and maybe we're talking about generosity, but someone walks away with a revelation about forgiveness. We show up talking about generosity and someone walks away with a revelation about wisdom. This is why you should never base your church attendance on the discussion or the topic we're discussing. That's just a shallow approach to faith. It's saying, no, I, I just lean in, recognizing this is a holy space and these are good people and I am developing as a follower of Christ. And what is fascinating about the faith in this story is clearly Elijah has a ton of faith. And what I love is it ends and it says, and everything took place in accordance with the word spoken to Elijah. Meaning when all is said and done, Elijah's credibility went up. Everyone's like, wait a second. There's something to what this guy's saying and what he believes. And I just get the feeling in this season, because of some of your faith and obedience, your credibility is going up and those around you who've been confused by what you believe and those around you who don't co-sign to everything that you subscribe to are paying attention and you are gaining more trust and more respect and more credibility than you think. But just know, credibility requires durability. You gotta stay to the course to prove to those around you how good God is and what he can do if you trust him and take him at his word. Elijah had a ton of faith, but so did this woman, right? She amazes me by how early in her journey with God, her ability to say yes and go after him. She gives it all. I surrender it all. And some of you, you're new to the faith, and I just get the feeling your boldness early on is gonna shake the foundations of our community. And I love that. Elijah had faith, she had faith, but who else in the text has a ton of faith? God. Think about this. God seeks to do something in an ungodly region. God seeks to do something in a culture devoted to idols. And when he's thinking of his plan, I'm gonna take out this prophet Baal. I'm gonna turn the faucet off and I'm gonna show that I'm God. All I need is two people. I'll take him by the brook 
and I'll take her who doesn't believe in me. And God had faith. Oh, don't miss this church. God had faith in Elijah and the widow. And he sat back and he was like, you know what? I believe they're gonna take me at my word. And those two people are gonna change a region because they trust me. And I find myself thinking, Lord, let the same be true of us. When you look upon our lives, man, I pray the God that we serve wells up in faith over our lives. He's good, she's good. He's trustworthy, she's dependable. He has faith, she has boldness. And I think God looks upon those of us leaning in, taking him at his word that God's like, I have faith in them. They're gonna change the world. They're gonna partner with me in my redemptive plan in humanity. And they're gonna be the conduit of my work within that community. Don't you want to live in such a way that invites more of God's confidence, more of God's trust upon your life? I think if we lean in with that type of posture, who's telling what God could do next in and through our church? But folks, here's what we have to understand. Obedience bridges the gap between our reality and our theology. Some of you, you have a really good theology, but you're frustrated with your reality. And sometimes the hangup is obedience. Our behaviors, they don't line up with our beliefs. And I'm just telling you, people who take God at his word, guys, I'm just, I'm unwavering in this. God's good. He's faithful. He's a provider. You can't outgive him. He's powerful. He's still in the business of doing miracles. He's still in the business of assigning tasks to his children. And he's still in the business of defeating idols and being glorified within the world. He is a big and mighty and righteous and holy and wonderful God. He's the real deal. Oh, I love our God. And I cannot wait to see what he does next in our church when we say, ah, maybe I'm holding on to more than I thought. God, I trust you. And what would happen if that were our posture, amen?